Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to What A Load Of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, the Northampton Town audio show. I'm Tom Reed, and it's going to be an end of term style feel to this last podcast of the season. Cobblers are down. We're not too down in the dumps. I'm joined by three Cobblers fans that will probably be still here in 10 years, or hopefully still in 10 years' time. Cheering the fat on all things Cobblers, we've got Andy Bodfish, James Avril, and Ian Brandt. How are you doing, guys? You okay? Hi, everyone. Yeah, okay, mate. Good, thank you. It's the end of term. I bought we bought the board games in, haven't we, Tom? We're gonna have a game of Connect Four. Left the Sabuti on the floor. I hope no one steps on it. That's what always used to happen. Yeah. Cobbler's season has gone kaplunk as well, so you know this thing's happened. <laughs> <laughs> and there are probably a few other board game plans we could put in. I can't think of it at the moment, but down a, uh, down a snake. Uh, it needs an operation, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it does need an operation, you're right. Uh, yeah, I'm struggling with those puns. Andy, come and save us with a football moment of the week. Um, well, it's sort of a, a slightly personal one, although I suppose it can be related to the cobblers because I was absolutely delighted the other day to see um, Emma Hayes uh, steer Chelsea women into the um, Women's Champions League final because um, she was a one-time erstwhile colleague of mine when we used to cover... Um, Women's football, women's World Cups and stuff on uh, Eurosport. Um, and Emma was a, a brilliant co-commentator, really good company, um, really sound, you know, intelligent, um, real 100% football in person. Um, mm. And, I mean, she's been there, I think, 10 years now or so, uh, coming up to 10 years. Um, and I mean, a bit like... <laughs> With, uh, you know, John Brady's words last week, you know, sort of there've got to be changes behind the scenes if I'm, you know, if I, if I'm, to, if you want me, if I'm to sort of be, be, be the, be the head guy here. And she pretty much said that to um, uh, Bruce Buck and um, uh, Marina Granovskaya at, at Chelsea. She said, look, you know, if you back me, I promise we'll get to the Champions League final. And that was in 2013. Um, within a couple of years, they'd started winning leagues and uh, women's FA Cups and so on. And, and here they are playing some terrific football. Um, and I'm just absolutely delighted for Emma Hayes because she's a she's a cracking football person. And, um, you know, I hope they do it against Barcelona. So, yes, that is my football moment of the week. Go on, Emma. That's cool. So you you knew her through the work, basically, or you, you know, you. You sort of uh, yeah exactly work. yeah and you you know you spend a bit of you know you spend office time um 
with these people hanging out, you know, by the coffee machine and whatnot, and told us all how she um, uh, she wasn't much of a player, but she, you know, she always had a sort of tactical brain, and she moved over to the US um, because she recognised that they were ahead in terms of facilities and their, you know, their sort of attitude towards women's football. Yeah. So yeah, she she moved over to I think it was. It was one for sort of your, you and Martin's quizzes, the Long Island Lady Strikers, something like that. <laughs> yeah, and she, and she lived in Chicago for a bit and, you know, sort of enjoyed life and learned her football and um, sort of fine-tuned her skills. And then sort of came back, was assistant to Vic Akers at Arsenal. Um, I think the only previous um, English team to win a Women's Champions League. Um, and, yeah, you know, obviously sort of headed out on her own try to make her own way and here she is um and you know a future england manager i'm, I'm quite sure don't think that the, the time was right quite right for her when uh hope powell left after all those those years um she was overlooked again for the um the gb job this summer um but you mark my words i'm, I'm certain that she will be be an england manager of the future re- re- really top person do you think that one day or maybe in the not too distant future that there'll be a woman managing a men's team, maybe even in the Premier League? Yeah, well, why not? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, at one time of day, uh, the idea would have been laughed out of town, but um, not anymore. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't rule it out at all. I was sort of thinking the other day, I was speaking to a couple of people about the Cobbers youth system and stuff like that, and maybe certain players not getting some chances that they maybe should have had in. It might be, I don't want to generalise women because obviously it doesn't work like that, but maybe um, some women coaches high up in the the youth ranks might work out, maybe slightly more patient with the players, less prone to, you know, um, maybe sort sort of a macho approach to, this guy thinks he's too good, blah, blah, blah. I think maybe that might be a, a, a way that, or an inroad for, especially women's coaches in professional clubs and um, maybe to nurture players, players a little bit. But like you said, the glass ceiling has been broken to an extent and it'd be interesting to see where it goes. So, um, yeah, that's an interesting football moment of the week. Andy, a bit of a different slant on things. Ian, you've uh, been having a little look at the Man United fans, haven't you, and what they've been up to? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like we're all for um we're all for like fans taking back control and all that. And yeah. everyone in the media was saying, Oh, wasn't it great to see the Chelsea fans and it was them that got the Super League cancelled and all that and obviously, you know, they were breaching like COVID and everything like that, but they kind of ignored that, didn't they? And now it was like and uh, yeah, uh, no, I can't condone, um, you know, assaulting police officers and um, vandalising yeah. things. But I don't know, where do you draw the line with it? Is it was it a good thing? I, I actually think it's good they got the game. Um, like I would never, you know, I would never approve of illegal activity. But I do think like the fact that they got the game stopped. I think that's, you know what I mean? You got it. It's pretty impressive. So there's just one way of getting things done. It's quite a good. Like yeah. way of going about your action. Like I remember, we joined Coventry shared six fields when they rented six fields because yeah. their hedge fund. I remember some of their fans on their forums, similar to like the hotel, and it's like 
few a few people on there going, oh, why are we so complacent? You know, fair enough, people are boycotting, but why are we going along with this in any, you know, at, at all? Like, why are we letting this happen? If it was Leeds, they'd be smashing up six fields. And I was going to think, yeah, actually, that's that's probably true. And it's probably like it would stop the owners going doing that because they just think no we, we won't be able to do that because the club we're renting from just wouldn't put up with having their ground smashed up so you, you start to think mm, okay you know football does attract these extremist elements but it kind of just makes me think about like the way these these big clubs obviously they have a hardcore support they have tons of support so therefore they're more likely to have a bigger pool of people and therefore there's a bigger percentage of people who are prepared to do that sort of stuff it's all yeah. kind of relative isn't it and it makes you think of like the cobblers fan base and, and like the percentage you'll put up with you know is it are we where we are because like the fans just kind of put up with it year after year after year if we were more militant yeah <laughs> would we not be like you know never mind like um having a uh have it you know these reforms which i think we're going to talk about later having a recruitment panel or whatnot whatever it is bringing poor old graham car in to kind of oversee everything again like maybe if our fans like threatened like serious action and were more militant yeah maybe wouldn't be a yo-yo club maybe we'd be um maybe we would have you know solidified in league two or league one or the championship years ago who knows yeah and you seem to be suggesting that Instead of having a committee for recruitment, we need some sort of um, provisional IRA-style military council to uh, <laughs> work. I'm not gonna. Yeah, the, and basically, when he goes on like um, like Look East or whatever, he he will he, he will his face will be obscured. Maybe they will like have him, you know, like in the shadows, like they used to the Sinn Fein guys, and not broadcast <laughs> his voice. But it'll be unmistakable because you'll see an umbrella in his hand and a big trench coat and um, yeah they'll have to bleep out a lot of what he says when you when you look at remember those sort of videos of irish republicans the leaders were often people you would never expect so i think um that certain cobbler's fan with the umbrella and shades and the uh trench coat would be an absolute very good choice of that but imagine someone went and smashed up the east stand they'd actually cause you know quite a twenty-five thousand pounds worth of improvements to the stand wouldn't they if they tried to smash it up <laughs> It's a, well, a brilliant, I, I, brilliant memory from my my childhood. That Ian, sorry to butt in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. T- terrorists not being able to, you know, the BBC and ITV not being able to broadcast the actual voice of. But the same thing being spoke by an actor, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, Chris Chris Morris spoofed it, didn't he, on the day to day? He had to breathe in a helium balloon to disguise his. <laughs> his voice but i subtract credibility from this it's quite like what you say tom because i remember like obviously when you know oh yeah the work started when when cardoza got the work started how slow it actually was and like oh no there's been some major progress today they've got those advertising boards down off the top of the east and i'm thinking that gust of wind at that huddersfield game did that in like 30 seconds didn't it Mother Nature actually did a better job. Maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need a natural disaster to kind of redevelop that stand. <laughs> no, I've always said that if there's some sort of nuclear strike on that on this country, that stand would still be there in the exact same state it was. It's just sort of like an unmovable object. But um, yeah, it's um, 
Yeah, usual. Oh, we're talking about the we're talking about old-fashioned terrorists not being able to be recognised. I remember it was Jerry Adams, wasn't it? Jerry Adams was the one that no one knew what he looked like really, and no one knew what he sounded like. And, but um, when he was sort of unmasked and his voice was there, it was a bit of a letdown, wasn't it? It was like, oh, we've waited all this time for you know, a guy that could be a library. Well, my, my mate was telling me a story that there was a documentary on about one of the Irish teams recently. On, on I think it was on BBC Two. And apparently um, it, they got into Europe and um, there was there was a bomb. Um, like There was a warning about a bomb. Apparently Martin McGuinness, like someone made a call to Martin McGuinness and he went down there, found out where it was picked it up and chucked it, I think, in a drain. And so the game could go ahead. God, that's one way of dealing with it, isn't it? Madness, isn't it? <laughs> Always remi- reminds me of the um, the story of Shergar, the famous racehorse from the 80s. He was an absolutely brilliant racehorse. Did it win the derby? It won something, an amazing mm. race, probably. And um, it got kidnapped, didn't it? And it was allegedly yeah. killed by the IRA. And the story goes that it got kidnapped by the IRA, but they didn't really know what to do with it. They were like, they knew it was worth something, but they were like, when they had it, they didn't really know what to do with it. And it's never been proven what happened to poor Shergar, one of the best racers of, racehorses of all time. But there was this documentary about it, and it always made me laugh that this, they t- took one of them, the men that had a share in Shergar, or we had in some sort of interest in it, and they took him up to the Irish moors, and they were like, apparently Shergar is born, you know, he's buried somewhere here. And this man just went, like yelled, Shaga, where are you? <laughs> Irish accent. <laughs> it's not funny, but it did make me. It did make me chuckle. Uh, the good old days of republicanism. Why did no one think of that before? Yeah, maybe um, maybe he heard and came back, and they've got him back. No, he's probably yeah, probably passed it now. But um, yeah, it was uh, a different time, I guess. Um, what the hell are we talking about again? I can't. We basically. Oh, the Man United gonna fans. Do, We've gone from Man United to. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna. I think the plan right. then is to kidnap Sam Hoskins. Hoskins and and like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> keep him in a stable, feed him sugar cubes, and then like. <laughs> and make a, ser- a series of demands to Kelvin Thomas about bringing in Ian Atkins as head of recruitment, as was. Uh, <laughs> as was mentioned in your previous media appointment, Tom. <laughs> so this is sort of, you sound like you've given this a little bit of thought here. It's gone to a revolutionary council, kidnapping poor Sam Hoskins and feeding him sugar cubes. I'm not sure that's his normal diet, probably not far off. Um, and what dem- whatever demands would you have of Calvin Thomas? Would it be, you know, bring John Gale in as a manager? I actually think Bayo. I just, I don't know. Whenever they say all this stuff, it just, what well, I just, like Jeff mentioned it years ago. He, did, he goes, I reckon one day Bayo will be an excellent manager. And it's like, since he said that, I was just, you know, Jeff knows what he's talking about. Um, yeah, I, that's, I just demand it now. He's player manager initially. He's, you know, he's coming to the end of his playing career. He's not going to get any higher than the championship with Wickham. Bring him in, come home, big man. Sort this club out. So, like, if you had to kidnap Sam Hoskins to achieve this and feed him some sugar cubes, Kelvin might ask for, like, proof of his, you know, being alive. And he might say, well, get Sam Hoskins to get the ball and do a few keepy-uppies to show he's alive. And Sam Hoskins might not be able to do any keepy-uppies. I'd, 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 I'd stick him through on guard. I'd, like, have a, I'd video of him doing loads of running and they go, yeah, that's not impersonated. That's that. And then I'd stick him through on guard and, like, like, you know, five five chances, and if like he only put two of them away, you go, yeah, okay, that's that's the real Sam. 
<laughs> yeah, to be honest, it seems the way football's going, Ian, and, and interaction in football grounds and fans doing this, it's not beyond the realms of possibility. And you might be right that Cobblers fans need to start thinking outside the box with, with stuff and not being so placid. So, uh, you know, if, if you, this, hey, in two years' time, when Mark Webb is sort of saying, well, you know, to, to be fair, the the, the, the the wallet podcast was talking about, just like they did with the Proud to Be document today, they'll probably, yeah. this will come back to Horton, won't it, if they dismiss all these ideas? Yeah. So Mark Webber will say, you know, you know, you were, you had a chance there to revolutionise a club. Ian did actually kidnap Sam Hoskins and keep him in the stables up Dustin and feed him sugar cubes. Yeah, I don't think we've got any stables around here. Maybe like some of those garages up uh, at Blockwood Close. I could stick him in one of them. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. That that sounds that sounds perfectly personally reasonable. And you know, it might improve his game a little bit, get him to concentrate a little bit more and think about where his career's going. So double thumbs up from me. <laughs> um that probably leads us on actually. We talked enough about um the RA for one evening. That's enough God for one evening. Uh let's move on a little bit to bring James in here about the um cobblers reform. I don't know what you're gonna call them. The cobblers three point plan, cobblers reforms, the cobblers changes to the football club. As long as um, we don't call it a five year plan. Yeah, yeah. Well, a five-year plan is, all, at the moment, all it is is kidnapping Sam Hoskins, so we've got to build on it somehow. Uh, <laughs> uh, James, you know, what did you make of the the sort of announcement? And it is interesting that some of the ideas were discussed by the Trust, and some of them are older ideas and stuff, but what did you make of it overall? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's promising. I mean, you, you've talked, we've talked a lot about on the Sunday podcast that it's important to be having these kind of conversations yeah. So it's good that we are having these conversations and, and the club are looking at different things because clearly we couldn't keep going on yo-yoing between the two divisions. You know, I think we seem to have got down, you know, the fact that we can most of the time <laughs> survive in League Two. But it's when we make that jump within three seasons down every time. So there's clearly an overarching pattern there. And it was it was really promising, I thought, to to see uh, what was being proposed. And. Like you said, a lot of a lot of the ideas aren't particularly new and have been discussed, you know, in in the project proud to be document a few a couple of years ago, um, and you know that, that there are some things there that I think yeah they sound good, um, particularly the recruitment committee. That the, the thing I I really noticed and it was something that I, you know, I've thought for a long time with regards to this season was Kelvin saying that they didn't think that they actually recruited to Keith's style very well. Um, so I think the yeah. fact that there's going to be a recruitment committee uh, that is kind of involving the club manager, but isn't necessarily just pinned on the club manager is a really interesting way to go. And hopefully it kind of helps us build that club identity of these are the kinds of, of players we want to attract to the football club and we want to develop and how we want them to develop with us in League One as well as League Two. So, yeah, it was very promising to to see what was talked about and you know as, as you've alluded to a, a lot of them aren't new ideas but it's good that the club are taking on board that feedback however long it's taken um for, for them to, to take a look at it yeah first summary as always james i think to an extent they were sort of backed into a corner and that they have to try something else now because i think people's patience with just this continual yo-yo existence a lack of not maybe financial investment, but effective investment to keep us in League One or any sort of 
platform for that is doing a lot of people's heads in and you know maybe turning some people off you know we don't there's so much stuff to do at the weekend now some people might be looking for other stuff to do but it's just it's promising let's see the dev, the devil's in the detail how, detail how much is 75 grand really going to affect a training ground um with various pitches and various teams and stuff i'm not i'm not sure um the management committee is that a new idea or is that how a lot of clubs already recruit you know they, they talk to a few people they don't just have one person making the decision so that again is not revolutionary but I think the most important thing is that these discussions are actually happening because they haven't happened for so long they never they haven't happened under Cardoza they didn't really happen under the trust the trust ran the club very well back under the Brian Lomax days when we went to Wembley but there was not a real discussion about that sort of thing and even going back to Derek Banks's days and etc etc there was not these wider discussions about how the hell we bring this club forward and sort of try and get onto its full potential so that for me is the most important thing and maybe the lid's been taken off the bottle and that is will be sort of promising going forward i guess with the ian and andy the uh, recruitment committee i think it's supposed to consist of james white and calvin thomas graham carr which is interesting because you know he's all often been in and about the club is he is he going to actually produce the goods in terms of some real changes that would be really good um Ian, who, who else would you add to the um, recruitment committee? I was thinking just Jerry Adams now, with what we've been talking about tonight. Get him on board. <laughs> we've got... Uh, I think fans of most clubs always link names that are related to their club because they're the ones they've followed mo- most closely. So that's why someone mentioned Ian Atkins and yeah, um, that's why you mentioned Matt Taylor earlier on the radio. There might be... I mean, it's not... Who do you th- who do we think is going to get the roles? See, they're not saying Brady is manager. I think. Do you think um, Brady will be head of recruitment, and he'll, that'll be this job that he steps up into? Because they've said like Samo's the youth coach now. Do you think Brady will get that role, and it will all be about developing players, or, uh, part of a wider plan of bringing pe- bringing the right people in and bringing the right people up from the youth team. I see Brady more as a potential director of football. Um, I don't know where the hell they, he is. Are they going to have that? Are they going to have that role? Is that they, the he, he said they were. He said it's not in the original committee, but Kelvin did say that he was thinking of adding that along the line, uh, along the line, you know, further down the line. So I think, yeah, I think it would I make sense to have. Yeah, I think it would make sense to have sort of Brady. Uh, you know, like clubs try different things, don't they? They try all sorts of things. And it's not like any model in particular works better than others. It's having the right people in the right mm. jobs. You know, you can get a club with a with a head coach, as they have now, who yeah. will be, who will, you know, like these clubs with big investment do it. Or you can do it like Wilder was like an old, old school in that he was manager kind of in control of everything mm. not that he was old school in his tactics or, or or the science side of things or anything like that but he was very much kind of a cluffy type wasn't he with Alan Neal as his Peter Taylor as it were and obviously he made it work it it doesn't really matter I think as long as you have the right people making it work um but you can have all these ideas, can't you? I remember when Dean Austin, that like we're kind of in the same position now, aren't we? When we went down and Dean Austin was left in charge. And I remember coming back, well, I was coming back from Skeggy, 
and listening on the Radio Lincoln coverage, and their um, their coverage is quite good on on there. And their their um, pundit, who was an ex-player, I can't remember his name, and he was basically going, "Yeah, I heard um, Dean Austin's pre-match comments that Northampton this year were going to play fast, attacking football, and get it down the wing and get the ball into the box from the wingers, but." They're not really done that now in reality, have they? Like you can say that before the game, but when you've got opponents stopping you doing all this stuff, all your best laid plans kind of go out the window. A bit like the Super League, really, wasn't it? Great idea in theory for those uh, those who wanted it to happen, and it, then when it comes out into the, into reality, it clashes with it and it gets completely destroyed. So all this stuff is is really good. And just like Mark Webber said, the cynic in me says, well, they're just announcing this because the club's just been relegated and they're thinking of season tickets and they don't, they want to reassure people that, oh, it's not going to be the same old um, nonsense. But, you know, if they get the right people in the right job and there's a proper structure and everything, good luck to them. Because I'll tell you what, like, never mind, we said it before, haven't we? Never mind. Obviously, that stand does need redeveloping and well done for getting it on the radio, Tom, when they invited you on to talk about this stuff. You mentioned how it wasn't the trust that lost the money. <laughs> you mentioned the East stand, so well done for that. But actually, it would be nice to have like some proper investment in the playing side of things because that's what we want, isn't it? Like we want someone who's interested in developing the club and pushing the club on, so like the club gets success, so this kind of thing doesn't happen again. Whether or not, like you say, seventy-five grand on the training ground and this structure is the right way to do it, who knows? We will see. Yeah, yeah. Mm. At least open the doors to. I think what's happened since maybe the time of the the open forum about community ownership that obviously didn't go down too well with the club. I think the club felt it was a bit of an insult, but I think from the trust perspective, they were just generally ahead of the curve. You know, 50 plus one is all over the news. The trust were on that two years ago. Um, technical director stuff, that was all discussed. It's all it's all like in the open discussion now. And I think the trust were just maybe slightly ahead of the game. People were knee-jerk against it and they got a bit defensive about it, which maybe meant some of the ideas were just snuffed out before they get, got to see the light of day. So the, the big things are changing now. And hopefully, I think hopefully just through this podcast as well, we've created a a place where we can have a, just a, a normal discussion at, about it without people on uh, web forums, on anonymous people saying you're anti-football club or on, on Facebook or whatever. That's what we've done. And that's, I think, without blowing our own trumpet, we've we've opened things up a little bit. And um, even with the post-match stuff we do with James and Martin and that, we, we just have a, we just speak from the heart and we just have an open conversation. That, that's really well, the most it, thing. Yeah, I agree with that. Because, I mean, it's difficult to look for, you know searching for positives from this season I suppose I mean one tiny little positive is the fact that the you know the trust and the board have have come together a little bit more during the course of this season it's less confrontational now I think and at least there is at least there is you know a a, a dialogue channel there that's been established um so it started to thaw a little bit mid-season didn't it um and, and now of course you know the the reset button as as the board have acknowledged has to be um has to be pressed because no one's in it under any illusions that this season has just been absolutely horrendous um but i mean as ian said sort of quoting mark weber at the end of you know the previous um what we were listening to a little bit earlier um <laughs> we'll see <laughs> we i mean we're, we're we're all quite cynical um and 
the right noises have been made. Great. Massive yeah. thumbs up. Yeah. Let, let's come on. Come on, then. Let's see. Exactly. It, it all boils down to investment. That is what it boils down to. And if I look at a club like Exeter, who just I think they come out of number one in the fan engagement uh, list this week. A model club in a lot of ways. They're, they're, they're fan-owned to a large extent. They have a mixed board of uh, supporters, trust reps, and what you, what you call a professional board. So um, more of a corporate element to it. And they've just they've just done so much good stuff with uh, the, the youth system. They sell players for millions of pounds, and that goes back into the club. They've got a brilliant training ground. They've actually managed to finish a stand. These sorts of modern approaches is what we've got to be able to talk about. And it, really does need us to sit down, everyone really, and just say, what sort of football club do we want? How do we go about it? I would like to see a few more people, local people, these so-called moneyed people with a bit of money in that you always hear them, so-and-so's loaded, blah, blah, blah. If a few of these could come forward and the trust could get involved and whoever else, and they just get together and say, look, this is a club we want to build. This is how we're going to fund it. We're going to fund the youth system properly. We're going to try and go for a category two instead of category three. We're going to put money into the training ground. That's the way forward. And if it ends up with for instance, a 51% member-owned club, to facilitate that, fair enough. If it's some guy comes out of the woodwork, or girl or woman or whatever, like an Andy Holt character that's going to be able to project manage it all and put money in, fair enough. But we really need to be having some sort of impetus behind the whole thing now and not just a club that's run at a loss with loans from directors that are hopefully at some point going to be made back in a land deal. That is... That's got to end eventually. And I think that's really what has sucked a lot of life out of the football club to an extent. There's nothing, been nothing to, to get behind. Do you know what I mean, James? It's just, it just, it's just felt that like there's a vacuum there for like too long. Yeah, well, I mean, I think back to the, the meeting two, two years ago. And, you know, the, the question I asked, and, you know, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think it's, you know, too <laughs> surprising to hear that I'm generally in, in favour of, fans having a greater say in, in running the club having been on the supporters trust for 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 so, for so long but the first yeah. question i did ask at that bit was this is the question that most fans are asking where does the money come from and yeah. they gave a very honest answer you know it, it is going to be tough you know as a supporters run club but it is also eminently doable if you all club together and you only have to look at you know the likes of uh, Exeter and, and AFC Wimbledon to, to, to see that and okay the time might come if you get a fan owner fan owned club for example where a bit like Wrexham have done you've kind of done your time there and, and you want to you know reach for the stars uh, again etc but yeah. it's it's the whole the whole sticking point with a lot of fans is that they think that it's going to be the fans running the club no. and there's this pr- assumption that people like me used to be on the sub- on the trust board who, who you know directing cars at the car boot sale raising funds for it are going to be running the club it's just yeah. fundamentally not what fan ownership is yeah and, and it's just such a, a real difficulty in in getting across what it actually entails because people's immediate assumption is well the, the bloke in front of me who you know shouts at them to get it on the ground the whole time he shouldn't be anywhere near running a club that's not how it works you know you get professionals in and it's no different to kelvin and that they bring professionals in to run the club you know that's what james whiting does that's what the the head of marketing head of communications are they're professionals that help run the club yeah 
they're not going to be displaced by a bunch of people who used to do the car boot sales <laughs> you know that that's fundamentally not what it's about and it's trying to change that perception but yeah absolutely the conversation needs to happen about where how do we how do we see it and i said on on you know on on the podcast on sunday we i want to see a road and then it's, it's been great hearing what you know he's, he's had to say this week etc and it's been some really promising signs but we i still think we need from him a roadmap of what his end goal is so what is he going to do with that stand yeah. what is his end goal for when he sees because he's never you know he's always said it's a short to medium term project what's the end goal for him uh and how does he want the club to be left when you know eventually he, he is going to go we, i think we need to hear that from him still yeah yeah 100 and i when i talked on bbc in northampton i was saying that fans need something to buy into but when you have nearly six years after the new owners took over with a fairly clear plan that they had some money to finish the stands and some money set aside for X, Y, and Z, that six years down the line, that hasn't happened yet. And there's a new council when um, Calvin Thomas is saying there's been positive discussions with the new council. Now, positive discussions, I can have positive discussions with the, the guy in Machippi you know, positive discussions towards giving me a sausage and chips. Like, it doesn't, there's no detail there. And I think the fans really need now, they need to know, you know, is the deal 50% done? Is it 70% done? Is it 90% done? Or is it like 10% done, 5% done? I think the fans really need to know that. And if there is no deal there, and if the deal just isn't possible for whatever reasons, just be honest about it. And just, fans will not hold it against you. Because I know they've tried their damn hardest to get this deal over the line and stuff. But, it got to it gets to the stage where six years in, maybe ten years in, and or more in total, where it gets beyond a joke, I think, and it really there really needs to be some movement. And then, even if it does get done, is that stand going to really change the football club in any way? I don't think so. So maybe it's a futile sort of pinning your hopes to that. But like we've said, it's it's interesting times for the football club, and I do find it quite interesting. And I did chuckle to myself a little bit that certain ideas, which were just basically ridiculed, laughed at, laughed out of the room, now are actually not just de rigueur in Northamptonshire, but all over the news, fifty plus one, and all all this sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can sort of kick on from here. The only thing I'd say with the stuff about the management committee is Ian Atkins is making me, it's like making me scratch my head. Like where is Ian Atkins come into this? Because I spoke to Atco and for that interview and he made no suggestion that that was ever on the card. So like, and why would necessarily Ian Atkins want to come back when there is a little bit of needle of how he was, you know, dispensed with. I think it would be very funny if he just walked onto the pitch after taking the job with like mic drop moment and went, I could have got you Robert Lewandowski for 2.5 million. Screw you all, and dropped it on the floor and walked off. I think that. <laughs> <laughs> were, were, were we foiled like Blackburn were with the uh, eruption of the Icelandic volcano? No, like if you look at Ian Atkins's website, he—I don't know—they sound pretty audacious, but I don't think he's making it up. And he—he he has got some very good links. He was a you know a European scout and stuff, and he—he he suggests that he saw Robert Lewandowski and various other players when they were worth you know, very small amounts. And me and Andy have talked about it a little bit, Andy, that maybe Atco was sacked too soon in that he did have something about him and he did have this X factor in terms of, you know, finding players and stuff. I think 
the value that he brought to the club was far better than the value he got from sacking him, Andy, in Atkins? Yeah, um, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. I do think, I, I don't know. I mean, things, things turn, the, the, the sky changes so quickly in football, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that couple of seasons he had, I, I mean, picking the club off the deck when he came in and then, you know, you ride that, you build that team and you ride that crest and then, oh, just lose, you know, sort of going down in that playoff final. I mean, you think about that now. Almost, you know, you're just a couple of places. You're that 90 minutes away from the championship, basically. Yeah. And that, and that, um, I mean, dreamland now, um, uh, the situation we're in at the moment. And then just losing that final and it just, I don't know, it just deflated. Um, it just deflated the club, didn't it? And it's very difficult to, to get that back, you know. I mean, he, 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 was, a, he was a terrific um, finder of players, but it was just a moment, really, that everything, everything coalesced perfectly for him, I think, at, at Northampton. Then, and then once, once things start going and then the mood goes and then the attitude goes and then that harmony is lost. It is difficult to get it back, and it takes a, exactly. a very, a very, very special manager. I'm not saying Atkins wasn't special. I mean, you know, how, how many promotions have we won between us? Um, but um, it's, it, it was just impossible even for him to get that, get that feeling and that harmony back. I think mm. it was one of them, wasn't it? Like you say, Andy, the stars aligned, and then yeah, very quickly they dealer. <laughs> They unaligned. Like it happened with Wilder this season, didn't it? Something goes yeah, and, wrong. Yeah, and 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 previously Graham Carr as well. I mean, yeah, that all. Get, I mean, every, all, all all football management jobs end in failure, don't they? You know. You get like you get like you get the injuries. Yeah, with with Atkins, he got the injuries. You know, um, and yeah, he brought certain people in on certain salaries, and it creates disharmony in the dressing room where yeah. previously everyone was getting on and mates. It's just what. You listen to that under the cosh podcast with all those ex pros. They say the same thing. You say you'll have a you'll have a dressing room and it'll be flying. Everything's flying for a couple of years, and then a couple of new people come in and like upset the um, status quo. And so and so's on more money, and everyone stops playing for each other, and people lose faith in the manager. But the foundation that Atkins put in. I mean, Kevin Wilson got him back up. Like, yeah. there's a rumor that he's been seen at the club. Really? Was that a, was that a Bella Pasta in the car? In the... <laughs> well, to was be honest seen, with you, was he seen alongside Malcolm Christie? Yeah. <laughs> Did you yeah. see that photo of um, Alex Ferguson meeting the um, old PSG going into it? going into the Lowry to supposedly meet the head guys at um, PSG the other day? Surprised me. And he uh, was he was wearing those shoes, wasn't he? You know that you know the shoes all pundits and presenters suddenly started wearing about eighteen months ago. The kind of black trainers with thick white soles. Oh, those! And, you see, and even Sir Alex Ferguson was wearing them. They are. A pro pro of nothing. Judge Trump had them on the other day at the snooker. I noticed. It's clearly the in thing to wear, isn't it? Ian, did you, do you know your um, your uh, informant known as Throwing? Send you articles from time to time. Yeah, I just want to make clear for legal purposes, him that's writing these things, not me. Yeah. Yeah. Rowan <laughs> is deeply embedded in the football scene. He 
sent me an email saying that basically he's seen Ian Atkins outside Bella Passa the other day. He had his top off. Of uh, course, yeah. <laughs> and he was smoking a cigar and singing The Boys Are Back in Town. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that suggest? It's quite cryptic, that one, isn't it? Yeah, John Gale pulled up in a car, you know. That, oh, that was part... That was part of the problem with Atkins, wasn't it, as well? When that generation of, like, Brummies got too old, he was kind of finished as a manager, wasn't he? Yeah. But at the yeah. same time, like, I was thinking when you were talking about, you know, that final season where he got fired and stuff, like, Andy will remember, you were probably all there. But James, were you there in those days? You know what? My first two games were the two playoff uh, finals. Um, and then I then. did go to a few games in the relegation season that followed, but no, not too many. So I can't really remember too much of the Atkins days, if I'm honest. But, My um, dad tells me a lot, though. Yeah, that's that final season where he, he got fired, essentially. There were still some bloody good players in there, weren't there? Wasn't, was Carlo Corrors in there? Was unless Steve Howard was there? Some good players. And Paul Wilkinson. Paul Wilkinson, Yeah. He hadn't lost his mojo anyway. He had he was signing some good players, but just a lot of injuries and stuff. The uh, Eileen Drury character weren't really working their magic. Um, I just think maybe that if they just had that patience with him, he would have. I reckon he would have got things going again. It's just it's just a shame how it works out, really. Like you know, I talk about the playing style a lot, and a couple of a few other people doing stuff. We did, in those days, we didn't really care about the playing style. We I think we took that side of it less seriously. Like it. You just turn up to a match, enjoy it for what it was, and then sort of go home. You maybe had the Sports Pink and whatever, the Chronicle. Well, not just, not just that, though, Tom. When you've gone from the verge of going out of business and yeah. then to the verge of going out of the league, and then he manages to rally these kind of misfits together, like Woody said, he they were kind of a bunch of rejects, and he got a promotion out of them within, like, two years, and then almost another promotion out of them. You didn't really care, you yeah. know? I mean... Yeah. No one was complaining about the style of football with that Bristol Rovers game, were they? Because it was absolutely magic. It's the same yeah. thing what we were saying, isn't it? If you've got the right characters in the right jobs and they're getting that kind of result and it's creating that kind of buzz, yeah. who cares? Who cares if you're releasing a load of youth teamers when things are going well? Or they, if you're not make, or how much profit you're making or what the long-term strategy is. Everyone just loves it, don't they? Yeah. yeah, but it's hard to get that that magic from those days. It's it's just a hard mix, and it's that X factor about it, and it's just so difficult. And there was just a momentum about the football club. I was going about it that Watford away game '98, it must have been mm. when Dean Pierce scored that equaliser. We took maybe four, five, five thousand fans away. I remember thinking at that time we are rocking and rolling. We were onto something here. Cobblers was like a thing. It was like we're up, we're rolling. Like we're gonna get up to the championship, whatever. Finally take the club where it needs to be but you know suddenly fell away and but the Atkins thing is interesting I, you know I love to be honest I love the guy and some people say the way he left wasn't right and I don't know there was rumours of some sort of legal issue going on but I, I back a, a man with his right to stand up for what what his you know employment rights are and stuff so I don't hold that against him even if he did you know I, I think that was that. over I think that side of things was over exaggerated anyway. I heard him on yeah. Radio Northampton doing the punditry if after that and he was apps like Cobbler score he was referring to us as we every other line. Cobbler scored he was celebrating like a fan. You know what I mean? He's like that guy he's got when he his interviews he does, he's got a bigger link to us than any other club, you know? And yeah. he's been he was associated with some quite big clubs as well in his time. Um yeah, he's 
it's cobblers through and through. Yeah, I think so too. So yeah, that's just an interesting little rumor. God knows if anything will come of it, but um, if it if it did, you know, fair play. He, he's the sort of guy that you couldn't, but just go well. Good luck with it, Ian. If you're going to take that sort of role on, you you just got to love him, I guess. Um, going to wrap up in a bit. So our last show of the season. I think we can't have a podcast with Andy Bodfish without talking to him a little about his career just before we wrap up, Andy. We're all thinking of our um, summer holidays. Well, not that we're going to get any, probably. But, uh, you know, in terms of foreign travel, we might get a little bit. But if we could travel, Andy, to some of the places you've been around the world watching football, where would you recommend as a, as a trip? Oh. A few, I think. Well, well, yeah, I mean... It's a bit like um, imagining what you do with the money if you won the lottery, isn't it? The way yeah, things yeah. are at the moment. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, not somewhere I've been, but somewhere I mean, with all the, maybe you guys have is um, South America. I would just love, 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 love to go to Argentina and um, yeah, you know, do, do the Buenos Aires football city tour. You know, River Plate on the Saturday, Huracan on the Monday night. You know. Get a fixture list drawn up, and um, that would be that would be perfect. But I don't know anywhere, mate. Anywhere, um, Italy. Get to the San Siro before they knock that down. The scoundrels. What a stadium um, that is. Yeah, what a stadium exactly. that is. Exactly. I remember doing the tour of that uh, with my dad, and uh, we ended up beating Paolo Maldini. Yeah. <laughs> It was Fantastic. pretty good. Really? Yeah, he was, he was literally just doing a photo shoot. He was literally doing a photo shoot on the pitch at halftime. Uh, we met a bunch of Plymouth fans and ironically we were playing <laughs> Plymouth like the next week so we ended up bumping into these Plymouth fans who we'd met Paolo Maldini with the week before but um, yeah he was really nice he asked who I support and I went Northampton and there was just that a vacant expression that <laughs> went across his face he's like oh very nice <laughs> did he go um, Inakins? yes he did yeah he said, he said one day he will make an excellent choice for a recruitment committee <laughs> <laughs> um, so you guys, I mean, what, Ian Atkins tried to sign me for 2.5 million pounds for Northampton, but I didn't go. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I have to say that, about knocking that place down, aren't they? It's just crazy, crazy, heartbreaking. It didn't Sorry. have any Sorry. cultural significance or something like that. It's just absolutely nonsense. Like it's like iconic, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, it does though. Yeah, you know, it's, who knows. What other grounds have you been to in Italy, uh, Andy? Um, yeah, quite quite a few. Um, I think it was it was eight or nine of the Italia ninety grounds that I've been fortunate enough to work at. Um, yeah, um, that 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 mad stadium in Turin, which um, was sort of up for the World Cup and lasted fifteen years, and then they knocked it down again. Probably a good thing because um, it's about twelve twelve miles away from the the pitch set up in the uh, top there. Palermo was quite special. Um, again, from that Italian 90 generation, it was just a buzz going to just go, just go into those grounds, really. You know, lo- lovely um, mountains behind. Um, halftime refreshments, excellent. Um, and, yeah, the Ferraris in Genoa was, um, yeah. was quite something. Fantastic stadium. I went, to, I went to the general one last year. I think I saw Sampdoria Udinese, Brilliant. and it was refreshing to have a beer watching a football, watching a top yeah. tier football game. Um, totally. And, and a lovely yes. city as well, Genoa. 
It's really uh, like... absolutely fantastic. And just the scenery of, of around yeah. the ground is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Although the other thing, I um, don't know what it was like now. It was a few years since I went there. But um, I remember sort of walking up the, basically it's got a river that isn't a river. There's no yes. water in it anymore. Yeah. Um, which is a bit odd. Um, but it's yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot to love about Italy. Lots of love. Genoa is a coastal city, isn't it? It's on the coast. It's it's, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's on the coast. It's a big, big port city. Uh, yeah. And yeah, Genoa and Sampdoria share share the stadium. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's seen better days. It, it is very dated. It's leaking. Um, you can tell it's like, you know, actually, you, you wouldn't think it was only because they did the stadium up for 1990, I think I was reading yeah. when I was kind of doing it. So you wouldn't think it was only kind of like a few years older than six fields because it does feel really antiquated but it's just got i don't know it's just something quite magical <laughs> about uh, yeah. a ground that's seen better days isn't there i think one of my favorite away grounds it's been it's hereford and i think i, I like it just it had barbed wire <laughs> and i was just yeah. like what the hell is this place but i love it and that um yeah there's you know the, the new stadiums are fantastic a few days later i went to the the new stadium in juventus and saw juventus atletico in the champions league and it's an incredible stadium, but I had more fun at Genoa, if I'm honest. How do you get the yeah. tickets for all this, uh, James? You just literally went online. I mean, they're not the the, the Genoa, so it was technically Sampdoria. Uh, I went on like um, this website. I think it's called It's a It's a One Sport One or something like that. I can't remember. Literally got the tickets for about fifteen quid. It's cheaper than a cobbler's game. Um, the uh, Juve one was uh, not cheap. Um, but I thought, well, you know, while I'm in Italy for the week, I might as well do it. So I got the train up to, to Turin and, and went to the new stadium there. And it was very, very impressive. Um, and it, it, what I quite like about it is that it, it's even though it's a new stadium, it's not absolutely massive. It's really compact. Um, yeah. And they've kind of designed it so that the, the atmosphere is really good. And um, yeah, it was, su- it was superb. Uh, we had the Atletico Madrid fans right kind of next to where I was. Paolo Dybala scored an absolutely ridiculous goal. It was one of the best single performances I've seen. So, but uh, yeah, just it, it, getting tickets for Italy games in Italy, I found really easy and really cheap as well. That's cool. That's cool. I went to um, a game in Norway. I was in Norway and we were in Oslo and uh, we we're just in the city and just having a drink and stuff and probably the pre-internet or just, they were just, you know, basic internet in those days. You didn't have it on your phones or anything. And, um, the, the, the city started filling up and you could tell there was a football, like a crowd, football crowd going on. You get used to it as a football fan. And I was like, well, we started speaking to the locals, like, what's going on? And they were like, Italy are playing Norway. It's a World Cup qualifier or something. So we were like, oh, we may as well go and try and get a ticket. You know, we didn't really have a ticket. So we went to the stadium and then we just bought one from a towel and we were travelling. So we didn't have much money and it cost quite a lot. I think it was about 50 quid, quite a lot. So we got these tickets and then we went into the stadium to go where we were supposed to... Um, go in and we were like where the hell are these, these entrances so we went all around the stadium and it turns out we were in with the italian fans and the um the, the steward went where are you from and we said england and he went if you go in with the italian ultras you will die <laughs> <laughs> and we were like all right i don't think we will will but you know we'll take your word for it and they were like they put us in this bit with all the waste and strays that had bought t- t- like ticket t- uh, seats but they were pretty good actually and it was just amazing seeing people like totty up, up close and yeah stuff like that it was, it was pretty amazing um kind of the stadium but it was, yeah it was in norway pretty cool 
Right, you in? Ulleval. Ulleval, yeah, the Ulleval, yeah, that's right. I'm trying to think now. I think the only time I've watched um, a foreign game was a Segunda game, Real Sofiedad, nice. when they went, when they, yeah, which, interesting there. Again, it's, yeah, like James said, it's really cheap. My, my cousin's a season ticket holder, um, and he was telling me, I think it works out about seven euros a game with a season ticket. But, like, that stadium's been expanded, actually, now, which is a shame that they've not been able to go in it because of COVID. But, um it's, it's a weird kind of setup because you kind of sit in like little groups, like little pockets of fans. So him and all his his mates and like his family sit together and then you've got another group. But um, one thing that did kind of was really strange, I don't know if anyone's been in any Spanish stadiums, but they eat like a lot of seeds, like nuts and seeds, yeah. and then they chuck, chuck the shells. So you're sitting there and there's like sunflower seeds raining down on your head. Like, what's going on? <laughs> So Just I went constant. to um, went to um, Leganes um, a couple of years ago as well. It's in Madrid, and um, just I think it's almost a nailed-on um, thing when you go to. It happens a lot at um, PSG as well, or certainly did. Um, just the old um, the old Jamaican old hole ball is um, <laughs> it's it, it is quite uh, prevalent. I find. I in, in, in open air. I mean, we were just, yeah, I haven't done the party pranks a lot, but yeah, we were just sitting, uh, you know, behind these guys who were, yeah, very happy. <laughs> what, what was that Cobblers game in the late 90s when the Cobblers fans had that inflatable sheep and they were throwing it round? It's a away game at the end of the season. You guys remember that? Yeah, it rings, rings a bell. And my mate was saying, look at, and I was like, well, because it was his last away game and my mate was like, they have got, we were, I think we weren't even, they were, lo- we were losing, I think. And everyone was just totally off their face, just completely. And he's like, well, fair play. At least they're enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like many away trips, doesn't it, really, to be fair? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, just wrapping up now, I, I've been thinking about this season, you know, how crap it's been really and stuff, and that we're going to be playing clubs like Barrow next season, I think, and Barrow or Barrow going down or, you know, a Harrogate, you know, clubs like that. And part of me is like, God, we're back in League Two, but part of me is actually, I would love to go to Harrogate and watch a football game. You know, just just anything. You take it now, don't you, I think. I think it's it's changed a little bit, our appreciation of even the crap yeah. of it. I think we're just itching to get back in. Do you reckon that, James, you've been to Genoa, Juventus, and you take <laughs> Harrogate at this moment? It's, it's quite weird that, you know, immaterial of the division you're in, the first games I look for are the grounds that I've not been to. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm looking forward to going to some new places like uh, Baron Harrogate. It's part of the football fan experience, isn't it? You know, why would you ever go to Harrogate? Why would you ever go to Northampton? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you, you, you kind of discover these places. You end up finding pubs that, uh, you know, years later, you'd be like, oh, I went in that pub years ago and suddenly you're a local, <laughs> you know, thing, things yeah. like that. Uh, I, I, I love it. Uh, regardless of the division we're in. And obviously, you know, it, it hurts that you kind of miss out on games against the likes of Sunderland, Ipswich and Hull. And, you know, particularly Ipswich for me, all my family are Ipswich fans, been wanting to play them for years and missed out on the opportunity of not just, you know, seeing us play them, but beat them 3-0 at six fields. You know, I'd have been dining, I'd have still been dining out on that. Um, but, 
you know, just going to new places um, is, is, is always good fun, regardless of the division. You know, my favourite game a couple of years ago was Chippenham. Um, just yeah, a good. random ground that you never go. Really good away day. Um, and, yeah, it, it's, it's all just part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah, that's nicely said. That's a nice way to wrap yeah. it up. It's been a bit more positive with Cobblers at the moment. I agree that clubs like Chippenham and stuff and a really interesting grounds to go to, Harrogate or whatever. But the irony of it all is we all want Cobblers to do well and get as high up the divisions as possible. But maybe we're actually, in a very strange way, better off away from the Premier League and all the crap that's going on there. Maybe we're better having a laugh against Harrogate rather than the sole death of Premier League but um, maybe that's one for next season to talk about <laughs> we'll see how we get on then but cheers for all your efforts this season guys really appreciate it um, uh, but across all the little platforms we've done it's been a bit of a weird one we didn't really expect to do this podcast and I don't know how, I couldn't even tell you how long we've been doing it for now you guys might know but it's just yeah it's been good so thanks a lot and have a good summer yes have a good summer everyone cheers fellas champions next season <laughs> <laughs> exactly take it easy guys up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.